Good morning, everyone. I am I'm Bryce Mackin. If there's a, for those of you who don't know me, I'm an elder here at Rock Bible Church. Scott Berglund is on assignment this week, so I am filling in. Um, he's uh, doing some amazing things. Of course, he's, I hope he's having a good time. Um, so the Mackin name, you would have just already heard it. My daughter, Emily, my daughter, Katie. Um, most people know them more than they know me. I am Katie and Emily's father, as opposed to being Bryce, the elder who nobody knows, which is okay. Um, so... Uh, when, I, when I was asked, I filled in a couple of times for Scott up here, and he's given me different options. You know, do we want to continue to go with the theme of the book we're in, or do we want to choose a topic of my own choosing? And the first couple of times I chose to talk about the woman at the well and acceptance and, and uh, several different topics. And the, and the third time I decided to split the difference and you know, do a summary of where we are, were in Samuel. This time I said, no, I want to stay on course, Scott. I want to do the next book. In the, in the Samuel series. He says, fantastic, you got Samuel 21. I said, okay, great. So I read Samuel 21. I say, Scott, are you sure I got Samuel 21? You all, you all were here last week. Scott did Samuel 21. My lesson is God provides. I'll get to the point of how God provides as we get through Samuel 22. Um, because God provided Scott to do Samuel 21. As I read Samuel 21 going through it the first time, I thought, boy, you know, I know there's a crossover with Psalms and Samuel. This is going to be a Psalms heavy because there's nothing really to go on in Samuel 21. If you want to know how skilled your pastor is at coming up with a meaningful lesson, read something like Samuel 21 and, say, and come up with a lesson on it. I had nothing. And I sat through last week and went, oh. Scott definitely knows what he's doing. I don't, thank heavens, he gave me Samuel 22 because he texted me, you know, I said, by the way, you don't have to do Samuel 21, you have to do Samuel 22, which as we go through it, there's a lot of meat and it's a lot easier for me to do Samuel 22. So I'm excited about doing Samuel 22 with you guys today. Um, I'm trying to, I, I, I have no more jokes, so let's just kind of get into it. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's God dive into Samuel 22. Actually, I did one more thing before I get into this. So what I tend to do as I go through a reading, I did it last time with the three different components that led us to the coronation of Saul becoming king. Um, I break up a chapter into three parts, and I've done the same thing here. So I'm gonna read it in three different sections and kind of extract the meat from those three different sections. The first section is gonna be one through, uh, one through five. So let's get into one through five. David departed from there and escaped to the cave at Adullam and his brothers and all of his father's house heard it. They went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter of soul gathered to him. And he, and he, he became commander over them. And there, there, were, there were with him 400 men. And David went from there to Mizbeth of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you till I know, that, till I know what God will, will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all of the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into uh, going to the land of Judah. So David departed, and he went into the forest of Hereth. Okay, I'm going to stop here. There is a tremendous amount of content in 
five quick verses as we, as we jump into 1 Samuel chapter 22, and I'm going to try and touch on each one of them as we kind of go through this. Uh, before I jump too far, if I say something like Adam or I pronounce something Hebrew that's incorrect, that's me. If I happen to say it correctly and you're amazed, that's the Holy Spirit. So just, just I, I'm going to be, I, I'm going to chop my way through this, but let's kind of go through this a little bit. So here we find in verse one and all through 21, David's on the run. David's in hiding. David is, knows, he knows he's being hunted and he's, he's left, uh, he's left Nod and um, he's now on the run and he goes to Adalim, which stands for stronghold. So he's going to go there and it's going to be his stronghold. It's going to be his safekeeping. He's going to be able to hide out from, from Saul there. And what must have been going through David's mind as he's on the run? I mean, this man has gone from the high of highs to the low of lows in very short order. I mean, the, the, the location of this stronghold, I, I did a little research into this. Um, geologists believe it wasn't too far away from where David had slayed Goliath. And here, here is David in this cave holding Goliath's sword on the run. He's thinking, wait a minute, didn't I just, wasn't I just, wasn't I just the, the man who slayed the tens of thousands? Didn't I just marry Saul's daughter? Wasn't I just best friends with Jonathan? Wasn't I just anointed to become king of Israel and now I'm on the run? Now I'm in hiding? Why is this happening to me? I mean, he must be going through a tremendous amount of angst. Uh, years ago, I had the fortune of doing a study where they did a cross-reference between First and Second Samuel and uh, Psalms. Um, now, so I came across uh, a psalm as part of that study uh, that I had done years ago. Now, I'm not going to read you the psalm, but I'm going to read you some of excerpts of it, excerpts from it, and that's Psalm 57. And in Psalm 57, it describes David as um, the Lord strengthening him in, in the cave and preparing him for what, what he will do next. So God is coming to him at Adullam, meaning stronghold. Meanwhile, God is thinking, David, this is a cave. This is not your stronghold. I am your stronghold. You need to seek me out. And here in Psalms 57, which I encourage you to read um, on your own at some point in time, David is reaching out to God. David is looking for fortification. In this psalm, it shows David uh, with a humble, prayerful, realistic heart, trusting and praising the Lord. It's trusting and praising the Lord. He's on the run for his life. He's in a cave. He knows somebody wants to kill him. Um, and here he is in this cave, trusting and praising the Lord. And God comes to answer immediately. So he goes to the stronghold, and what, does he, what happens next? He first gets visited by his family. So his brothers and his mother and father come to him. They were estranged. They're not estranged anymore. They know what the, the suffering David is going through, and they come to, to, to him to his side. They come to him to, to comfort him, to lift him up. So immediately on the scene are his family to be with him in this moment of, of dread. And beyond that, he gets visited by 400. But not your average 400. Not the 400 that David may have wanted to select. No, these 400 have a, a, a strong description, these 400 do. They're in distress. Uh, they're, they're in debt. They're, uh, they're bitter. Uh, so, and they gathered to him. I mean, if David could pick 400 men to come to him at a time of distress, would he have picked other guys that were in distress? Eh, probably not, but they're the ones God selected. They're the ones God said, go to this cave, go to this man, go be with this man. And the significance of the 400 for me have always been, 
David arrives at this cave, this stronghold, alone. He gets visited by his family and then 400 men, which become the beginning foundations to David's army. David's on the move. God's on the move. God brings 400 men to his side when he is alone as he enters the cave, as he exits the cave, he's not alone. He has 400 men on his side. And what, I read a little bit about this, and my daughter, God bless her, because right? I, I teared up with this. So at, as we know, these 400 men come to David, and David ultimately becomes the king of Israel. And through his adventures to become king, many men come to his side. All of them will claim, oh, I knew David when. I was with David from the beginning. But, and I've read this, um, I gotta make sure I don't get it wrong. It is the glory of the 400. It is the glory of the 400 that came first. The men that were in distress, the men that God called, go to this man in a cave alone and become his, his, his force and, and allow him to be the commander over you. Now these 400 are not ready to be in an army yet, but they are ready to stand next to David. And as we proceed through this reading, David starts doing a little bit of housekeeping. So David knows, I got 400, my parents have, and my brothers have come to me, but I'm on the run, and Saul's going to do anything to trip me up. So the first thing he does, after he has the collection of these, these men and his mother and father, he takes his mother and father immediately to Moab, to the king of Moab, and says, would you take care of them until this is finished? He knows Saul is going to hunt them down. They're at risk. David takes care of his parents, makes sure... That's not going to be a tripping point for him because he knows what's next. He was anointed king. He's got 400 of them come to be at, be at his side. He's got an army in, in, its, in its infant stages. And next thing down, down that path for him is he's going to go to war, going to go, to go to battle with Saul over the kingdom of Israel. He's going to come out triumphant. And it's this 400, the, the, the glory of that 400 that came with him. But again, it's David understanding he needs to protect those around him. And we conclude this reading, this chapter, this one through five, with the visit from the prophet Gad, who said, it's great. You got your parents taken care of. Super. You got your 400, the beginning of your army. Great. Now, let's go, so, let's go show Saul what you got. Get on the march. Get out of the stronghold. Go to Judah. He needs to know you're here. You're a force to be reckoned with. And we're going to read forward Saul's spies find all this out of report this to Saul, which I think I'm going to say almost those very next words as we go to, to verse 6. But David is no longer hiding. He's no longer in hiding. He arrives in fear, in hiding, and on the run for his life, and he leaves this stronghold, fortified by God, a, a reunited family, strength there, 400 the glory of those 400 that come to him in his moment of need, the formation of his first army to become king over Israel. Again, come in weak, leave strong, only God can do that. And David's cries to God are answered. And he becomes, he becomes king. Now, that's the good part. So one through five is really exciting. David, le David leaves in, in a moment of strength. Let's see what's going on in Saul's world as we go through our, the rest of the reading, six through 20. Now Saul heard, um, Saul heard that David was discovered and, uh, and the, the men who were with him. Saul was sitting in Gibbeth under the tam tamarisk tree on the, height of, on the height with his spear in hand. And all his servants were standing around him. And Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will you... Will the son of Jesse give you everything, uh, give, you, give you fields and vineyards? 
Will he make you commanders over thousands and commanders over hundreds? And all of you have conspired against me. No one discloses to me when my son makes covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servants against me to lie in wait as the, at, as at this day. Then answered Diog the Edomite. I'm going to come to him in a little bit. Diog the Edomite, who stood uh, by, the, uh, by the servants. O Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Amalek, the son of Atab, and he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Amalek, the priest, the son of, of Atab and his father's house. The priests who were, who were at Nob and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Atab. And, the, and he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul, Saul said to him, have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in, in that you have given him bread and the sword, and, and, I have, and I have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as, as, it, as, it, as it this day? Then Amalek, Amalek answered to the king, and who among all of your servants is faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and the captain over your, over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? Oh, let not the king impute anything his servant or to all, all his house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. And the king said, Then surely, then, then you, uh, uh, the king said to him, You shall surely, sure, and the oh Lord have, see, he's going to die. <laughs> you surely die. Amalek. You, you and all your father's house. And the king said to his guard, who stood around him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because these, because their hand also is with David, and they they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me, but the servants of the king would not put their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king, then the king said to David, to Diog, not David, said to Diog, you. You turn and strike the priests. And Diog, the Adamite, turned and struck down the priests and, ki and, killed, uh, and killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nod, the city of the priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, sheep. He put them to the sword. Okay, a lot to unpack there. Um, let's go with the beginning. So um, 
We find out, we know as we leave verse 5, David's on the move to Judah. And we find as we go to verse 6, indeed Saul's spies have come out and told him, David's on the move and he's got 400 men. This has got to send a shiver down Saul's back. He's got to know, okay, David was affordable for, for formidable force when he was alone. Now, he's, now God has answered his call after anointing him. He has 400 men to the formation of, the, of an initial army. This is, this is real. This is really happening. Saul's first reaction in all of that is to get angry. We know this because he put that spear in his hand. Saul's always got that spear in his hand to represent anger. Now, I, I, I got to laugh as I'm reading through this Saul and the spear in the high place and whatever Saul and the spear. Saul's spear, uh, Saul's not a really good spearsman. I mean, when Saul gets mad with that spear, he throws it at Jonathan. He throws it a couple of times at David. He can't hit the broadside of a barn with that spear. I was, I was remember, I, what, what jumped into me as I'm thinking about Saul and his spear is there's a scene from a movie called Bagger Vance. If you've not seen it, it's okay. It's a golf movie. Um, but the Will Smith character is walking towards the Matt Damon character, and the Matt Damon character is sitting there hitting golf ball after golf ball after golf ball, and he, and he appears on the scene, and he goes, Matt Damon says to Will Smith, what are you doing? You know, you're walking straight down the middle. I could have killed you. He goes, oh, no, no, no. That's the safest place to be. <laughs> so I think the safest place to be with Saul on a spear is right in front of him because he can't hit anything. But the spear really, at this point, because we only hit it with one, one, one you know, couple of words, is the spears will represent Saul's anger. Saul is angry about what's going on. Saul's angry because this kingdom is slipping away from him. So he starts taking and doing what angry people do. Uh, he slips into madness. He starts by dealing, making deals with his servants. Don't follow the son of um, uh, Jesse. Thank you very much. Don't follow the son of Jesse. He doesn't refer to David as the, the killer of Goliath. He doesn't refer to David as the killer of tens of thousands. No, he refers to him as the son of Jesse, a simple farmer. A simple farmer can't give you vineyards. A simple farmer can't give you minions to command. Me, Saul, king, I can give that to you. He's deal-making. Don't follow the anointed. Stay with me. Oh, and we quickly go straight away from deal-making to try and stay in power to Saul's madness. Well, you're all conspiring against me. You're working with David. You all are. You're, you're trying to undermine your king. See, I mean, you're obviously in league with David. You won't take my vineyards. You won't trust me. You don't believe that I'm the king. Then you're obviously conspiring with David who's on the run, right? Why would you be doing that? Why would you do, and he's, he's slipping quickly into madness. And then Diog, the Edomite, who makes his appearance for us in chapter 21, has just, why is it not? I don't know, but he's there and not, uh, to witness David getting provisions from Am Amalek. And he's, he reports that to Saul because he wants favor with Saul. He is weaseling his way in to becoming the, the ears to Saul. And I, again, I make a reference to Vagabas, I got another movie reference here. As I, I think of Deog, I think of, I'm taken to Tolkien and um, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings. And I, the first person that pops into my mind is Wormtongue. So here's this Wormtongue, wheezy little guy, sitting next to Saul saying, oh, you're going crazy? Let me feed into your crazy. Your high priest, he's conspiring against you too. So we should go confront him. So Saul does what Saul does, and he goes to Nod, and he brings Amalek in front of him, and he confronts him. And he says, wait a minute. You are too, like my servants, you're conspiring against me. You're trying to overthrow my kingdom. 
you're trying to cause me pain. So, you know, did you, did you inquire about God for this man? Of course, Amalek did. He doesn't know Saul's anger. He knows Saul's grumpy with, with, with David. He wants to get, David, get his hands on David. But Amalek, in his, in his innocence, begins to say, and his purity begins to say, not only did I do this, but shouldn't I have done this? Isn't he head of your bodyguard? Isn't he your son-in-law? Isn't he the, the, one of the highest people in your household? Why wouldn't I have inquired of God for him? You know, I mean, it makes sense to him. He's the high priest. But Saul is spinning. Saul is seeing the writing on the wall. Obviously, with the deal-making, now the, the everybody's, it's a conspiracy theory. You're all out to get me. Now he's confronted, confronted with complete innocence, with complete, with, with someone who is a, follower of God and doing what, is, what he believes is right in God's eyes. And his move, he's angry. God, Saul's got to be angry at God because his next move is to, okay, if you're going to be in league with David, then you got to die. And he kills him. But he doesn't kill him, kill him. He first looks to his servants and say, would you kill him? And his servants know the, know the score. They're not taking the vineyards. They know what's going on. I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to kill the priest. This is madness. So he, he turns, to, turns to worm tongue. Diog, and Diog, who is not an Israelite, does this. But Diog doesn't just kill the priests. Diog does what Samuel was called to do early in Saul. I believe it's Saul chapter 15, where he puts to death everyone in Nod. Saul wouldn't put his enemies to death. Saul wouldn't put you know, the women and children to death when, when called to do it. Saul instead decides, when I am going to put somebody to death, when I'm going to wipe out an entire city, I'm going to do it to the, my own city inside my own country. And he does this. He's obviously gone crazy. He couldn't do it. His servants wouldn't do it. He turns the Edomite to do it. And he does it. And he puts his entire city to death. So here we have David. He's got an army. Saul knows he's got an army. Saul's trying to, trying to hold on to his power. Starts first by cutting deals, then by getting, by getting spun up into this conspiracy theory and trying to point fingers, and ultimately by doing the one thing, the unbelievable thing that the king of his own country should never, ever do. He puts his priests to death because he doesn't like what they're saying. Saul is mad. He's gone, I, mean, I'm no, I don't mean like standing with a spear mad. I mean, Saul is insane. He's gone, he's gone steeped into madness and gone completely off the reservation. It's, it's clear here. In this short amount of verses, Saul goes from king of Israel to crazy mad king and willing to kill his own people to try and hold on to his, his power. Now, I, I look at this, the deal making, the going crazy, and then ultimately with killing his own people, Saul's trying any way to hold on to power, and I think what he, this is a Bryceism, this is not theologian, this is, I look at this and look at Saul, Saul, the deal, deal making didn't work, nobody believes that it's a conspiracy against him, if you won't follow me for this, well watch what I'll do, if I believe you are in league with David, I'll kill you, if I'm willing to kill my priest, I'm willing to kill anybody, stand in line, I'm the king, he's trying to hold on to power, and he's doing it poorly, which we all know that, 
because at the beginning he was looking for donkeys. Uh, anyway, Saul is on his way out, and the anointed is on his way in, and he's on the move, and he's got 400 amazing men who came to his side to do this. So let's, let's wrap up here, and we've got one more amazing man that's coming to David's side. But one of the sons of Amalek, the son of Atab, named Abathar, Later to the right, escaped and fled. Escaped and fled after David, and Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, "I knew on that day when Diog the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house.'" Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. Interesting. So we enter the we enter this first Samuel twenty two. David's in in distress. He's on the run. We'll go back to Saul in a full month, few months because he's crazy. And we exit first Samuel twenty two. David's in distress again. David walks on Nod in 21 with no army, and Amalek is, you've come with nobody, he's, I'm sure he's afraid, because, you know, Saul's hunting this man. He has, again, again, he has no army. And Amalek, we learn, obviously, he, through his innocence, ends up being killed, because Saul believes he's in league with David. So here, uh, Abathar has the unenviable job of coming to to tell David what took place in Nod. Uh, that is a tough gig to have. That is a tough one to walk into who you know was going to be the next king, the anointed one, and tell him, the city you were just in, the one you couldn't protect, the one you showed up with no army, they're all dead. They've been wiped off the, wiped off the planet. And David is in angst. You know, he, he knew it when he saw Diog that something was afoot, um, but he's in angst because he feels guilty. Because I took comfort, from, the, from your father. Because I took comfort in the city of Nod, I have caused their death. And he is guilt-ridden at this point, wishing he had, he had, he had been able to show up with, at Nod with his army, which he couldn't have. That wasn't to be played out. That's not the way God saw this to be played out. It needed to be played out this way. David doesn't know that. He'll figure it out later in time. But at this moment, David is in angst, begins in angst because he's alone, ends in angst because he caused the death of innocent people. And I I actually, in my giant study Bible, uh, read a bit about uh, uh, Abathar. And Abathar is an interesting character in that uh, he shows up on the scene speaking in truth to David. uh, And he he spends the rest of his life at David's side. From for time until, until the end of David's life, Abathar is with him. And I've got to believe that it's because here's a man speaking to David in truth, not afraid to tell David, tell David the score, not afraid to bring him the bad news. And David looks to this man and says, because you are someone who's not afraid to bring me the bad news, I need to keep you close. Saul had nobody close telling him the, telling him the score, nobody telling him the, the, the truth. Instead, he's got this Edomite telling him, yeah, you're in trouble, man. You should kill everybody. And he does it. And he kills everybody. He kills the innocents. Saul goes into madness. David elevated to, to a position of power. And David has an army. Now, his army is not ready to take on Saul yet, but it will be soon. 
and I'm excited about this. This, I, I, my mom had called me and said, well, you know, you, are you, what are you preaching on today? I'm Samuel 22. Well, you know, can you give me the rundown? Well, I'll give you a five-minute version. Five-minute version is David's on the run. David gets an army. Saul goes crazy. And uh, David gets mad, mad at Saul at the end and gets a good, good lifelong friend. Eh, the end. That's not really the end, but it's in, in, a, in the basics. You know, we, we could have done this in two and a half minutes. But I, it's amazing how much content is shoved into these short amount of verses. I mean, the ending of one empire and the beginning of another empire and God's at, God's at work throughout all of it. Um, and God is working through David to get there. Okay, so uh, therein lies that little piece of it. So I wanted to share with you um, a couple of fill-ins. So um, the, the, the theme of this for me was God provides. In the case of David, at the beginning there, God provided... I should get to my own notes before I turn around because I'm sure the fill-ins are right behind me. Okay. Uh, God, God is listening and he's sending support. God provides support. God provides support to David. David's on the run. David goes to the cave and the first on the scene are his family. So, and then he gets greeted by the 400, the, the glorious 400 who had their own issues. In my personal life, um, I've had to have God provide support, and sometimes I think God isn't listening. Oftentimes I think God isn't listening. Um, it, so and I know I've spoke about this before in the past, and I know some of you who have seen me walk around say, what is wrong with that man? Um, so I, and I've got a, many, many years ago, I got, I got diagnosed with MS. And the first thing I did was I went on the run. I went in hiding because I was ashamed of what I had. I thought I'd done something wrong. Now, I remember um, my wife, uh, I'm going to jump around here because I, I, I did want to hit, hit this one. My wife said to me, and I'll, I'll never forget it, years later, she said, when the doctor told you you had MS, she said, I've never seen fear on your face. And I had fear on my, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what my life was going to be like. I thought it was over. I thought it was, I was, it was, it was at the end. Like David is deathly afraid. He's, he, his life, he, he thinks it's over. He's got to go to the stronghold and hide. I'm thinking to myself, I've got this incurable neurological disorder. My life is over. Oh, woe is me. I'm alone in my journey. And then he said, no, nah, you're really not. So he sends my family, obviously sends my lovely wife to me. When she had no choice. She was in the room. Um, so, but she sent, he sends my family to me to say, we, we're, we're in this together. You know, my, my father, my, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my brother, they came to me first and said, this is not that bad. We're going to get through this. And through the course of my life, um, blessings have been bestowed upon me. My 400 have shown up, not only quite 400, but people have come alongside me and said, this is not that bad. You're okay. You're going to get through this. And my spinning about, oh, what I've, what I've lost is no longer what I've lost. It's what I've gained. I've gained an understanding of who I am. I've gained an opportunity to put aside the man I thought I would be to become the man I'm going to be. So David got an opportunity to put aside the man he was you know, on the run to be, become the king God intended. Now, I'm not going to be king. But, but you know, they, that's the point be, is I get an opportunity to see life through different eyes. I get to see life through support. I've had people come up to me and say, oh, it's, I, we watch how you deal with your MS, and it's inspiring. I'm humbled when somebody says that to me because I'm not, not inspired by having a mess. Um, I would love to be able to inspire somebody some other way. 
but that's just not the cards that were dealt to me. And those weren't the cards that were dealt to David. I'm sure he didn't want to go on the run. He was anointed by God to become king of Israel. And he's hunted and he's terrified. So we all, we all go through, our, into, into our own cave at different times of our life. And we, if we reach out to God, as David did in Psalms 57, God will answer. and He will send people and he will send encouragement and we'll send, send folks around us to uplift us to be God's emissaries in our lives. And I hope everyone gets to experience that, that God provides that for you. The other thing, so in the second part of God provides, God provides, and I got to read my own phones. God provides in the, in the way that Going it without God leads to bad choices. God provides. How does God provide? God provides bad choices. Saul was given an opportunity. God provided an opportunity for Saul to come to him. Saul, to understand what was going on in front of him, the one man on his own that you've been hunting, God came to him and provided him support. God gave Saul an opportunity to make some bad choices. And boy, did he make some bad choices. Saul basically seals the deal here in 1 Samuel 22 to the end of his, end of his reign. We know going forward, it is, it is all over. Saul's done. To me, those middle verses, uh, 6 to 20, represent the creation of madness in the, on the throne in Israel. And God allowed Saul the opportunity to go do that. He allowed Saul the opportunity to, do, to go it his own way. And Saul chose the wrong path to go his own way. For me personally, I know as a younger man, I used to think, well, I don't, I'm not going to pray about this. God's busy. He's got a, I remember as a young, young man, I mean, God's busy in Ethiopia. They got to eat. They don't they care about my, my little things that are going on here in Pleasanton, California. I got this. And, and last time I spoke about the, the three different ways, uh, three different chapters in, in Samuel as we proceed to Saul becoming king, I, the, the theme was God's got this. Now I've got God provides. I've got to remember God's always got this. And, you know, I, praying about it, seeking God's guidance in the small things will yield greater results. I, I, I shared at one point when I pray and I feel God's presence, I, I feel a lightness on my heart. I've got to remember that lightness on my heart. Whether it's real or imagined, I don't care. If, for me, it is a feeling of God with me. And no matter what I'm going through, no matter if I'm on the run and I'm ashamed of whatever's going on in my life, get on your knees. Pray. Ask God to be there with you. Seek God, and he will be with you. Don't go it alone. There's no reason to go it alone. Saul went, alone, Saul went it alone, and we saw how that worked out for Saul. I don't want to be Saul, and for lots of different reasons. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't, don't go it alone. I'm, we're all guilty of trying to do it on our own, and you don't have to do it on your own. God's there for you. God's got this. Reach out to him. He doesn't want you to do it alone, but he gives you the choice whether you want to do it alone or not. He doesn't make you a call on him. So that's, that's my third fill-in. My final fill-in, which I have now in front of me. Um, God provides companions to walk with us. God provides companions to walk with us. Um, so in our lives, as I said, I, I had my, my family came to me in a time of need. I've had my 400 that have come to me in my time of need, encouraging me. By not going it alone, I'm surrounded by people who love me. 
I'm surrounded by people who care about me, including the body of this church. If I had a nickel for every time one of you all came up and said how much you're praying for me, I'd be a rich man. In fact, next time, do come up with a nickel because I'll be collecting them. Um, so, no, but it's, it's amazing just to be around the body of Christ, to be around believers and the support you get from that. God provides companions with us. I'm struck back to a companion story, a lifelong companion, one I never saw coming. So I went to, I went to Russia about six years ago. Uh, I went in seek of a cure for MS. I'm always looking for a cure for MS. If you find one, do give me a call. I'll take it. Literally, I'll take it. Um, but I went to Russia, and I, I did a procedure, and I was able to, to stop the progression of the MS, so I no longer technically have MS, and I'm happy about that. And in that process, um, I got introduced to a lot of wonderful people, but specifically one that has become a lifelong friend of mine. He was a gentleman that was across the hall from me in Russia. He's an Australian guy. And we used to get together every morning for coffee, and we would speak truth to each other. And I remember he used to speak truth to me. I would preferred him not to do it sometimes. At one point, he said to me, you know, what we're going to go through is going to be life-changing with this whole HSCT procedure, but there's no guarantee that we're going to be back the way we were. There's no guarantee that it's going to be a complete cure. So you need to set your mind on that, on that, that it's not going to be a complete cure. He wasn't the first person to say that to me. My wife said that to me before. I went to Russia to set my expectations so I didn't get too excited. I do appreciate that, Stacey. Um, but this guy is, is an individual I didn't have as a friend going into Russia, going into this experience. His name is Anthony Blank. I know he's not watching, so it's okay. Uh, and he's in Australia, so he's probably asleep. Anthony and I, were, have, we text regularly. And we speak truth to each other. We're by each other's sides. And Anthony said something to me in a text, which kind of goes into um, the lifelong friendship thing. I said to him, boy, it's so great that we stay in communication. He said, of course we are. We're friends for life. We're always going to be with each other. We talk to each other at minimum every year on the anniversary of the time we were in, in, in Russia together. It's always in July. I just got done. And what? it's not one text, how you doing? It's several pages of texts. How you doing? How's your life going? How, what, you know, what, what, what are you going through? What, what challenges are you facing? How's the family? You know, so I get a chance to share stories about my family. He gets stories, shares, shares stories about his family. But the two of us are going to be lifelong friends. He knows what I'm going through because he's going through the same thing. So we have a special relationship, one that I am eternally grateful for, and one that I didn't think I'd have before I went to Russia. Now I'm out of Russia. I have someone that speaks truth to me, and we're lifelong friends. So, and with that, because I end poorly, uh, first, first Samuel, that's First Samuel 22, and I'm very happy to share it with you. Let's, uh, let's end in prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity of sharing your interactions with David, with Saul, with the people of Israel as we went through First Samuel 22. We see the makings of a king. We see how you are there on the scene for David as he is struggling and needing you. And you answer his call as he's in the cave. Lord, please answer our call as we're in our own caves, that you'll be, be with us every step of the way and provide for us as we, see, as we seek your guidance and provide for us as we need companionship. In your name I pray, amen. I will turn around. I'm not getting on the stage, it's too far. Um, <laughs> So I, before you forget, Doug is here. Our drummer is healing. Let's pray for his healing so he can get back behind that kit so we can hear him drumming again.
So as you go out this week, may God provide, provide an opportunity for you to seek him closer, to be closer to him and companions to come alongside you. Amen. Amen.